Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Oh, man. There we go. go. Ask the Dean, episode 97. I am Dr. Ryan Gray, one of your amazing co-hosts on this show. We've been going almost a hundred episodes. It's crazy. It is crazy. crazy. Uh, We are the MAPT team. We are here to help you or a loved one if you're a parent or your student, if you're an advisor, or whoever you may be, um, helping people or you yourself on your journey to medical school, PA school, wherever you want to go. Like, if you want to go be a marine biologist, we'll help you with that, too. Exactly. That's the advice that we give. Uh, Verinia Granum, uh, one of our other co-hosts here. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I actually realized that today, well, a year ago today, I accepted... Uh, this job. Uh, I'm kind of celebrating. <laughs> it was the beginning of the, the dark The beginning side. of the end. <laughs> <laughs> the end of a wonderful career. It just picked right up on this side now. So yep. I'm happy to be awesome. here with you all. Yes. yes. Well, we, we are glad that we were able to, to steal you away from <laughs> Hofstra um, so that you could come and, and help yeah. here and, and help all the students that you help. So thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you for accepting the rose. It's <laughs> <laughs> my bachelor, bachelor mm-hmm. at, uh, uh, reference there. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS. All of your TMDSAS complaints uh, go to scott at maps.com. Um, he, he can fix them all. So <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy, Whatever. you're that guy. Hello, Scott. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right. How are you, Ryan? I am wonderful. Good. You know, uh, Verinia said a year ago, uh, she accepted her, uh, her offer to come join the map team. And, uh, I just want to speak for myself, how wonderful it has been to have you here, Verinia and, you. and, uh, you're a great addition. And, and I, I, I know that the students are seeing that and, and so that's great. And I will add to that, that seven months ago today, seven months ago today, I took last my cigarette. last puff of a cigarette. Nice. Yay. So that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. Here's yep. the pinker lungs. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Oxygen apparently is important. Yeah, yeah. who knew? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And last but not least, MAPS co-founder Rachel Grubbs with lots and lots and lots and lots of experience in the MCAT and pre-med world. Yeah, it's me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I missed last week, so I'm glad to be back in the thick of it. Yeah. Well, uh, we have lots of questions coming in. If you are watching on Instagram, go over to mapped.tv. That's M-A-P-P-D.tv to ask your questions. That's the easiest place where we take questions from. So let's rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll. All right. Gigi. 
asks, how many units is sufficient to showcase an upward trend in a post back, even if my cumulative and science GPA is very low? My post post back advisor suggests I might need to do an SMP after my post back. Scott, this is one we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I recommend um, forty hours or so. Uh, I think is all science. Forty hours, as much upper level biological science as possible. Um, I think if you're doing a post back, I, I, I don't completely understand the advisor's suggestion that an SMP after the post back. I, I don't get that advice. So. To me, if you're doing well in your postback program, in other words, if you if you have a high GPA in your postback classes, that is what you know you needed to do once you you know recognize that your cum and science GPAs were low. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I understand the the suggestion to do an SMP after that. Yeah. So the the big difference, Scott, is is one is undergraduate coursework typically right. when we say post back we're, right. we're typically meaning undergraduate coursework right and an smp is going to be master's level coursework right. and there's right. always some confusion anxiety around what's going to look better what are med- what do medical right. schools care about right. now i anecdotally hear from students and some some random uh, adcom members that undergraduate coursework is going to be scrutinized more and less weight is going to be put on uh, master's level yes. coursework. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, well, I think there's a, a variety of different reasons why that's, why that's the case. One of them is pragmatic. Um, the uh, admissions committee deals with undergraduate coursework day after day after day after day after day applicant after applicant they know how to interpret it they know what a 3.7 gpa in an undergrad program means or a 3.3 or whatever when you get to graduate work it's it, it's not as is straightforward what kind of yeah. graduate program is it uh is it you know largely uh, research is it is it a lot of you know the grading can be different uh, you don't stay in graduate programs and make C's and so you know yeah. the, that that what that does is inflate the grade point average for those that are completing the program and so I think there's a kind of variety of reasons why that may be the case now SMPs are a little bit different than that because they're focused on pre meds and they're focused on the med school process as opposed to a just general biology yeah. master's degree or neuroscience or whatever. And uh, so it's a little bit different, but I, I think that, you know, my, my suggestion to, to Gigi is, you know, first of all, we don't have enough information here to give a whole lot of advice. How are you doing in your post back? Are you, are you doing well? Have you, you know, made a good grades, you know, uh, that, Oh, here we go. Um, I keep my grades is that I keep my grades close to four oh my cumulative yeah your cum is not gonna mathematically move a whole lot so yeah. um that that's not you know that's not your effort that's not what you're trying to do yeah so so one of the things I would recommend Gigi uh, is go look at mapped pro if you're not a mapped user go look at mapped pro you can enter in all of your information this is our demo account uh, go and enter in all of your information and then as a mapped pro user even during the trial you can come over to the advising tab and then message us more directly and we can see 
your trends here uh, mm-hmm. with this green semester trend being the most important one uh, because you, again, as Dr. Wright mentioned, your, your cumulative isn't going to move much. And so we want to see this green line as close to the top as possible. Now this dashboard graph only shows undergraduate coursework. If you click on the more detail page, then you can see more of the graduate level. My, my favorite chart is the class standing GPA here where we can see a slight upward trend, slight upward trend. And then finally, 391 for that senior year, but obviously not, not a ton of credit. So hopefully what we'll see with yours is that you have a lot uh, as close to a 4.0 here in your post back. Your cumulative again, isn't going to be very high. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I agree with you, uh, Scott, that I, I don't understand the point of doing an SMP. If you have 40 or 50 credits at close to a 4.0, like you've proven academic capability. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You're muted, Rachel. Uh, STEM talks. What are the most common deal breakers to not accept a student? And how do we as pre-meds avoid them? Mm-hmm. Verinia, mm-hmm. Wait, let, let's, let's give our, our number one. So we'll, we'll have four top deal breakers. Verinia, what's your number one deal breaker? For me, definitely lacking... Uh, patient interaction, patient care experience, clinical, yeah. Lacking clinical, clinical experience. Yeah. That's for me. Number one. You still, you still the good one. Okay. So lacking notice, clinical experience. Notice it wasn't grades. <laughs> yeah, what? Shocker. Shocker. Uh, Rachel, what's, what's your number one? Well, Frenia said my number one. So just to reiterate, no clinical experience. Um, but uh, after that, I'm going to say, an essay that reads like a resume or a CV instead of one that actually answers the prompt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wright. Well, I, I agree with both of those. I would say uh, a, a deal breaker is applying late. You, you know, if you oh, apply yeah. too late, then that's, that's not going to work. Rolling admissions, right? Mm-hmm. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Um, so, so mine is you have clinical experience and there's a lot more like we could, we could do this all day. Uh, you have clinical experience, but it's not consistent and it hasn't been recent. And so it looks like you're checking off a box yep. from a long time ago. Yep. So I'll do that. Uh, and then all the normal ones, right? You don't, you don't tell a good story. Rachel, as you mentioned, more resume-ish, a little braggadocious. Uh, you don't interview well, which goes to a, another question that we can bring up here yep. Um, yep. about the five waitlists. So uh, Quintetis asks, I'm currently on five MD waitlists. Does this mean that I did not interview well? And do you think I realistically have a chance at an acceptance? So, uh, Dr. Wright, what are, what are common reasons for why someone is invited for an interview, but then waitlisted? Um, just numbers. Uh, they not, not MCAT GPA numbers, just the massive numbers of, you know, typical medical schools are going to interview, you know, they, they, they pretty much know how many students in a given year they need to interview in order to yield, what they want to yield in terms of their class and, yep. and have, you know, plenty of people to, to fall back on stuff like that. So historically they know these numbers and, and what they need to do. Why would somebody end up on five wait lists? It, it could be um, that um, 
the interviews didn't go well. Um, now, if the interview, now my my personal opinion is, if your interviews went poorly, then you you probably wouldn't have been put on the wait list to start with. So if if you know if the interview had gone really badly, or you're a terrible interviewer, and and you know I I, I I've had students in the past who had you know a lot of interviews eight, 10 interviews and didn't get in anywhere and wasn't put on a wait list anywhere. And so that is a key sign that the interview is, is the issue. Everybody's seeing the same thing that the interview is, is, is really a problem. So in terms of this student, however, Quinteres, uh, what I would say is it doesn't necessarily mean the interview uh, did not go well. I think if the interview did not go well, you, you hmm. probably wouldn't have been put on a wait list. Uh, the reason you're on a wait list could be just, you know, they, they thought you were fine for their class, but maybe there was, you know, not an excitement level that, got, that lifted you up to that, le- to the point where you got an, an, an initial acceptance. Uh, it could be your numbers are a little bit, you know, lower numbers will play into that sometimes. Uh, it could be a variety of reasons, but, um, you know, to the end of your question, I, do you think I have a realistic uh, chance at acceptance? Boy, you know, that's the million-dollar question right there. I mean, <laughs> if I could answer that, I mean, we would be really top-notch. <laughs> well, we are top-notch, but we would yeah. be, like, way up there. Um, yeah. yeah, so I have a great podcast episode for this, and I'm looking for, uh, for it. So Natalie – uh, episode 241 of the pre-med year. So if you just go to premedyears.com slash 241, Natalie was a student who during her second application cycle, her first application cycle, she had some stat issues. She fixed those, applied again, had six interviews, I believe, and was, let's say, waitlisted at, I think, five of them or waitlisted at all of them. So she reached out to me. This was a couple of years ago. She reached out to me and said, I don't know what's wrong, um, but I'm applying again. And I would think I need some help with my interviews because I was invited. So obviously they like me enough on paper, mm-hmm. but then maybe they didn't like me post interview. Mm-hmm. And our first mock interview together was horrendous. <laughs> um, she just had no idea what the goal of the interview was. She came in trying to just tell a pity story. She came in trying to sell all the skills and traits that she had. And she wasn't connecting with me as the interviewer. She was talking at me mm-hmm. and trying to, to brag about all these things and, and where she's come from and how she's going to be an amazing doctor. And so I gave her some feedback. We switched it around for the, the following mock interviews And she was a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I was able to connect with her and just learn about who she is and, and just connect as, as a human, as I, I say all the time, we we talk about the interview is uh, in my mind, a coffee shop conversation. You're just sitting down, trying to meet someone, trying to learn who they are, trying to understand what drives them and motivates them and, and just learn about them. And her third application cycle, she had just as many interviews because she, she looked great on paper. She had overcome a lot of obstacles. She had improved her GPA or MCAT, whatever. Uh, and she went from five wait lists to five acceptances. Uh, 
And so it was really just changing the narrative, changing how she was approaching the interview. So that was her. I don't know. We don't know if that's you, Quintetis, um, but that could be. Right. And so um, a, a session with uh, one of us to um, to do a mock interview with potentially a session just to look at your application to see what's missing. One of the other big things, though, is um, timing. Right, Bernie, uh, if a student applies late, they may be interviewing for a waitlist spot. Yeah, yep. Yep. absolutely. Yeah. So we don't know what time um, when you submitted your application, but that could be something to think about. Yep. Going forward. Good thing. Apply early. Yes. Georgie asks, uh, I don't receive my grade of the last prereq I'm taking until mid-May. When should I request a transcript from the school, considering I'm applying as early as possible? Well, it sounds like you know the answer. You're, you're not going to get your grade. Um, you, you need to request a transcript after that grade appears on the transcript. And so, or- Let's, yeah, go ahead, Verena. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you, say can, the same thing. you can still submit your application, um, create your application, submit your application. Y- you can, assuming you know you're like a thousand percent confident what that grade's going to be, right? Well, what I'm saying is like, don't hold, like, don't hold back the process while waiting on that transcript. Sometimes students feel like they have to wait until they have that in hand. Mm-hmm. Well, you technically do. Not technically, right? Because AMCAS isn't going to do anything with the application yeah. until the transcript gets to them anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's not huge benefit of submitting before you know you've requested the transcript. But the big issue is you're confident, oh, I'm going to get an A. I'm going to submit mm-hmm. my transcript. You have the right. final the next day and you bomb the final. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the bigger issue, I think. So what I was going to say is logistically at – uh, at your institution, at your university, you can request a transcript now, and then on the transcript request, it, it will have a box mm-hmm. that says, wait to send this until the spring grades are in. Mm. So you get in the queue of your university with by submitting that. So don't wait to get your transcript. Don't wait to get the grade and then request the transcript. Request the transcript, but say you don't want it sent until that spring grade is posted. Mm. Yeah, that'll help. That'll help a little, a little bit. Yeah. All right. So McKenna manages our social media. So she's forwarding a question that uh, got sent through one of our DMs. I had an upward trend, but got a C last semester. Will this ruin my hard work for my trend? It might. <laughs> it might, right? It, yeah. There's there's no there's no way to to, to know for sure. Yeah. It doesn't look um, great. Yeah. yeah, I mean we we get this a lot. We get a like, you know, a lot of I think the piece we don't have is what your mapped app trends look like, like all the detail. Um if you have a three point eight and then you get one C, just take a breath, move on. Yeah, yeah. You know? right. Um, if you were clawing your way back up and trying to prove I'm a different student today than I used to be, a C the last semester is, I think, more of a problem. Mm-hmm. So it just it depends on the context of what that upper trend looks like, what those grades look like. You know, how how many C's is that net for you now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. 
Blake asks, does applying to dual degree programs, MD, MBA, MPH, PhD, et cetera, help your application stand out at all? Or is it looked or is it still looked at with all the other applications? Thanks for all you guys do. So I think there's there's always a lot of miss typically um uh, misunderstanding of the dual degree application. So really the only true-ish, and, and Scott, you can correct me, the kind of the only true-ish dual degree application is the MD-PhD application. Most of the other dual degrees are you get into the medical school and then you say, oh, I also want to do the MBA program, right? I, I also want to do, and then you apply for those mm-hmm. uh, separately. And then the MD-PhD uh, programs, you're Typically, it's it's still two applications. You're applying to the MD program and you're applying to the PhD program. So you're still with everyone else um, uh, for the most part. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that uh, typically there are some MD, MBA programs that are combined programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, but that's not very, uh, that's not typical. So I, th- I agree with you, Ryan. Yeah. And then to your question, Blake, does it help you stand out at all? Um, I feel like you might be coming at this from a backwards place. Yeah. Um, yeah. We never, ever want any pre-med ever to do something because they think it will look good on their application. Mm-hmm. Um, Adcoms look at hundreds of applications every year. Believe me, they see through it mm-hmm. and it doesn't impress them. So I think the question is, are you particularly interested in getting an MBA or an MPH or a PhD in addition to your MD? Is there some passion that you've got? Um, I'd be surprised if all three of them were equally interesting to you. Although who knows, you may have a very robust and diverse brain, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, um, but if something's calling to you to do it, then that's going to inform your essays and your application. Um, But I would never recommend you do it just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, how, how's that interview going to go? Like, Blake, uh, so tell me why you're interested in our MBA program. Well, I just thought it was going to help me stand out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So Ben asks, for the personal statement, is it okay if almost all of our watering events, if you don't know what the watering events are, it's the language that we use in uh, this Pre-med playbook guide to the medical school personal statement that some some dude wrote um, are the same experience being in the same clinical job. Sorry, we <laughs> were in the middle of reading it, and I was like, "Wait, let me show off our banner." And now I have no idea where Ben's comment went. There we go. It's um, same clinical job for over a year. So this is a very common question. I have my personal statement, which for us is, "Why do you want to be a doctor?" And you show that through the experiences that you've had. Those experiences almost always are going to also be experiences that you're going to put in your activity section. You just don't want to write the same exact thing and tell the same exact story, right? You tell a story about patient Johnny over here, and then you tell a story about patient Johnny over here uh, in two, two separate spots. So, um, yeah, it's going to be the same activity in two spots, but different, different story, different experience, different takeaways, et cetera. Yeah. Osant asks for Hispanic applicants. The average MCAT is a 506 getting into medical school. What's a strong MCAT for these type of applicants? The strong MCAT is the MCAT that gets you into medical school. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know where they got this from, but the double AMC uh, yeah. post post the averages for applicants and matriculants based on race. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll pull that up and we can show it. Um, Scott, so I I don't like this question. I understand the question. Um, and and we talk to lots of diverse students, uh, minority students, disadvantaged students. The answer always is you get as high of an MCAT as you can get, right? You don't go, well, I'm Hispanic, therefore I'll settle for, mm-hmm. which, which like, I don't know if that's what this question is leaning towards. The answer always is as high as you can get. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Oh, are you muted, Scott? Sorry. <laughs> um, Osan, I, you know, I, 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 not to be negative toward you, but I don't like this question either. And uh, I think it's, um, it, 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 it's kind of like what Rachel said a few minutes ago. It's approaching it from the wrong perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the right perspective is just exactly what you said, Ryan. You get the highest MCAT you can get. You study your butt off. You do the work. You and, and you do the best that you can, regardless of whether you're Hispanic or Asian or black or what, you know, whoever you are, that's the effort. That's what you want to do. And uh, so that that's what I would say is I, I don't know what the value of showing, you know, I understand the double AMC has to justify all the money they charge to students by producing all these stats and stuff. Uh, but I think that it's it's a little bit difficult to to know what those stats mean and why they're important. Yes. Uh, and, and and so, you know, I think that w- what you need to do is just, well, like we said, focus on doing the best you can and then go with it. Yep. Yeah. So here here's um, here's where the data comes from. And we can I'll just post the link for everyone there. This is double AMC. If you just Google double AMC facts. Uh, this is table A18, and and what you can see here is uh, let's let's go to white. Um, the this is for da, 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 applicants, and then there's another table down here for matriculants. So everyone applying for white people five hundred seven point five, for those who identify as Asian five hundred eight point six. American Indian or Alaska Native, 498. Uh, Very similar, 497.6 for those who identify as Black or African American. Uh, Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin, 500.2. So you can see there's a ton of disparity Mm -hmm. uh, on the MCAT for, for race. And there are lots of reasons for it. The MCAT isn't the only standardized test that has this kind of disparity. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't like the MCAT, but it is what it is. And then here's where the 506 comes from is for matriculants itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so much these stats don't say, right? Yeah. Um, the WMC recently, it was maybe three years ago, did a survey about free resources and found that the lower your socioeconomic status, the less likely you were to use free resources. Are poor people saying they don't want free resources? No, of course not. Maybe they didn't know they were out there, right? That's just a guess, right? And I think the same thing with this, with the applicants for white that being so much higher, are white people better test takers inherently? No, I don't think so. That's not, that's not how talent works. It's not distributed that way. Um, But maybe a lot of the white students who are applicants 
know not to apply with lower scores. Maybe they have better advising. Maybe they have parents who are more invested in them who can help them take a second summer off work to prep on the MCAT, right? Like what these stats don't speak to are systemic issues and just systemic factors in our society. (laughs) Historic redlining back in the day, driving out uh, specific uh, people of neighborhoods and school funding being based on, on home prices and just, yeah, Yeah. lots of issues. So yeah, uh, you know, Osant, not to poo poo your original question, but we just, (laughs) I I think if you think about it in that, those terms, you're going to get yourself stuck in a weird rut where you just want to have everybody, the the best GPA and the best MCAT you can put forward and then hope that your other experiences are the thing that really gets you in. I mean, you're more than your stats. So we just did a parent session last night where we did an in-depth review of an application that had a 4.0 and a 528 and the student didn't get in because all they really had going for them were stats. Yeah. So as high as you can get, that's the answer. And check out the MCAT podcast for free MCAT resources. Yes. Free MCAT prep. (sighs) All right. Well, we're kind of in that zone. Alexa. Sorry. Don't don't say that word. (laughs) Um, Hello. (laughs) Rachel's like, oh, now I get it. How does the balance between GPA and MCAT determine the academic ability of an applicant? I take my MCAT on Friday, but I'm scared I won't be above a 510 with my 395 GPA from undergrad help. The MCAT GPA balance test, right? It's like the the lawyer scale. They're kind of a symbol for for the legal world. Scott, we talk about this a lot. Um, What's Mm -hmm. what's the... What's what's the relationship between MCAT and GPA here? Yeah, I mean it's a tentative relationship. I would say it it, it is. Um, you know, we often get the question: if I have a a low GPA, will a high MCAT score balance that out, or vice versa? And the the answer to that question is no. They 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 really address different you know different things. Um, uh, so so I would say that the medical schools are looking at, at both uh, at both numbers to understand, you know, number one, can't in terms of the GPA, can you sit in a classroom over weeks and weeks and weeks and gut it out and do well over months and months and years and years and semesters and semesters and, you know, really do the work. That's what the GPA says. It, it's, it's a work ethic, uh, indicator. It's a, uh, uh, it, it, but it's also an indicator of of how well you can study and how well you can um, uh, synthesize information and, and do well in the classroom. M- MCAT, on the other hand, is you know a one time shot that says mostly can I utilize the information that I have in in a problem solving setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, because uh, you're going to have other standardized tests in your future as a physician, you're going to have problem solving as a daily part of your routine uh, as a physician. And so uh, this is uh, this is kind of what uh, the MCAT really points at. Would your you know what I would say, however, is Alexa, if you if you came in with a three point five undergraduate GPA, and let's say you hit five ten. Those are good, solid numbers. 
uh, obviously the 3.9 GPA, 3.95 GPA is awesome. Congrats on doing so well in, in school. That's, that's, you know, you, you did what you, what you, what you needed to do. Uh, let's say a 510 uh, uh, MCAT score, solid MCAT score. It's going to put you in the position to uh, be competitive uh, at a lot of, uh, at a lot of medical schools. And so, um, so, you know, I think what you have to do is kind of wait and see what, what your score is and, and you're, you know, uh, unless for some reason it is a horrible score, uh, you know, like below 500, um, then I would say, you know, you're going to apply and you're going to see what's hap- what happens. Yep. Yep. And good luck. Yeah. Anthony asks, what's too late as far as getting the app in? Would you say end of July, early August is too late? Hmm. And my question would be, and Instagram is going to lose the sound. I don't know why phone calls are coming through. I have do not disturb on. (laughs) Um, Why are you applying late? Knowing that it's important Mm -hmm. to apply early. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wait for your MCAT score to apply. Yep. If if that's what's happening, don't wait. Uh, Don't wait to see your MCAT score and then apply. Uh, I don't know if that's what it is, but that that would be a typical scenario here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our advice is by mid-June, right? You don't have to be that first day that opens in May. That day is going to be riddled with tech bugs anyway. But sometime in that first week or second week that the application is open for submission is usually right. Um, are there people who applied late July, early August last year who got in? Yeah, some of them. They probably had amazing stats. Um so you're just you're you're not helping yourself by applying late and it's only April 27th. So, yeah. you know, we don't know what your circumstances are, but what is it that you're prioritizing that's making you think that you should wait that long to apply? Yeah. You don't have oh, to answer that. Yeah. He says uh, late MCAT. Late MCAT. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. yeah. So you, so you go ahead and apply. Yeah. Before. Yeah. 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 At least pick one school. All they're, they're waiting on is that MCAT. Yeah. Yeah. So. Pick one school. I mean, as long as you can afford to apply, right? Mm-hmm. Pick one mm-hmm. school, get your application verified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Here's a kind of similar question that makes me nervous. Uh, MRE, I have a question. If you're a junior, almost being a senior, and you don't want to take a gap year, when is the right time to take the MCAT mm-hmm. and apply to medical school? So, uh, well. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, I- Let's look at this real quick, Rachel. Let's um, let's share the screen, show mapped app real quick, and show this timeline. Um, get that on there, and then we'll go to roadmap. So, um, they're junior now. When would they be starting medical school? So, junior now it means they're starting medical 23. school. Twenty-three and twenty-three. So if I come into my profile and mapped, and I say I'm going to start medical school in twenty twenty-three, right? I'm going to save that information, and I'm going to go to my roadmap, which map gives you, um, and it, the end date here is twenty twenty-three. We'll scroll down and start looking at MCAT prep. MCAT prep should have started mm-hmm. August 2021 through potentially March 2022. Looking to take the MCAT January 2022 to March 2022. Because you're going to be applying May, June of 2022. 
Uh-huh. So basically, MRE, what we're saying is we hope you're not actually a junior and still thinking about applying this year if you haven't already taken the MCAT. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, maybe you're in the middle of prep, right? But if you're if you're just now thinking I might want to apply this year, what do I have to do? You, you need to apply next year. Yeah. yeah. Next year. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's so common for students not to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. how long the application yeah. cycle is. Timeline, uh, yeah. Verinia, obviously yeah. we interact with a lot of students um, all over the, the world, whatever, in the yeah. U.S. Uh, but Verinia, even with you mm-hmm. uh, on campus where the, the school that you came from, yeah. how often would students come be like, okay, like I'm a senior. I yeah. How do I get into med school yeah. next yeah. month? Very often, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and they, they seem to assume that they can, it's like college, you know, you apply like whatever and you'll get in by the fall or whatever that same year. Um, so frequently we did our best to put that information out there and, and share the timeline at appointments and explain things. But by senior year, yeah, yeah, that ship has sailed. But then you talk about all the wonderful opportunities you can do during this next growth year or two. Right. So I know they said that uh, they didn't want to take a gap year, but Maybe it's now not. being sort of forced on you. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Start working yep. on those clinical experiences. I had, yep. a, had, had a student one year at UT Southwestern or a caller called in on the phone and said, I want to register for a medical school. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, not apply, register. Yeah. I want to go. Yeah. I want to get in. Right. I want to start med school right yeah. now. Yeah, oh, a, a student just asked in in the, the pre med hangout. She's like, um, "How do I send a, an application directly to a school? Like, I, I want to apply to that school. Like, no, like, that's not how it works. Like, there's a central application. You apply to all the schools you want to apply to. It may just be that one, but it's it's yeah. just a general application. So, uh." For as much as we're out here giving all this uh, information away every week for free, and I, I have probably sixteen or seventeen hundred podcast episodes and several hundred YouTube videos, like there's still lots of confusion around this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest just being that the application process itself is about an eighteen month timeline. Yeah. You know, you start working on your application probably January when you apply in May and you may not hear until April. It's long. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep trying to clarify. That's our goal. All, all I think about is um, the before and afters uh, of presidents during their term and, and Barack being the most common recent one of what do you look like going into the office and what do you look like coming out? And like, that's all I can think about is pre-meds, like uh, my first personal statement draft and finally getting that acceptance phone call or email. It's just like how weathered they look. Where did all this gray come from? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, let's see. Sandman uh, says, I received undergraduate research credits that appears a grade on my transcript. Will my LOR from this professor fulfill the professor taught you in a formal classroom setting requirement? Well, if you, you put the... Um, Sandman, you put in quotes, professor taught you in a formal classroom setting. I'm assuming that you got that quote from some document from AMCAS. So if you read that quote, 
is research, undergraduate research, formal classroom setting? That's my question. And that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to answer your question with a question. <laughs> All right, here's a question you won't like. <laughs> Wit, uh, uh, what is the number of clinical hours where when you see it on an application, you say, that might just be enough if everything went right and they reflected on everything? I'm glad they added the extra stuff, right? They reflected yeah, yeah, yeah. and this and that and whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Verinia, what, what is that number? Oh, if we only knew, right? <laughs> Magic one ball. million. <laughs> one million hours. <laughs> Unfortunately, with we just don't know. There is no. I mean, if you had to twist my arm, nope. I'm not even going to go down that road. <laughs> not going to do it. Oh, come on! I've throw a number out. Clinical. Uh, I mean, I've seen anything from a hundred to a thousand, five thousand. I've seen mm-hmm. ten thousand. Like enough yeah. for you yeah. to know that this enough. is what you want to do that you're enjoying it right yeah. that you get up every morning looking forward to it um sorry what there is yeah no this is such a common minimum. question we hate to be pinned down and if, mm-hmm. if you use that example you threw out is like maybe a hundred a hundred could be two and a half weeks yep that's true. right if yep. you say uh, I'm applying June 6, 2022, and I started this clinical job on May 15, 2022. I'm not impressed. Yeah. Um, and that's part of why they include dates, not just hours. If it was 100 hours spread over a year and a half, so now I'm thinking you did five or 10 hours of work every month, that seems a little different. Um, but, you know, I mean, again, yeah. that's just a random example number. There are going to be people with thousands of hours mm-hmm. of clinical. Yeah. And that d- isn't impressive if they don't, as wit as you say, reflected and thought about it and communicated well. And so we recently upgraded the graph in our dashboard to really help show um, much in a much better way everything that's going on. So you can see this blue is clinical um, and shows consistency over time uh, and uh it's it's not the total hours, right? I'm not super concerned about what this graph says on the uh, the left, what the the scale is, um, one sixty, one hundred sixty hours or zero hours. But it's the consistency over time, having having a color there mm-hmm. every year, so I can change it to two years, and I can see that this this student has been very consistent getting clinical experience. Again, I'm not looking at the total hours here; I'm just seeing that they're consistently getting it. Yep. Uh, which actually, someone asked. Let's see if I can find the question. Uh, has, has a new version we... of a mapped come out came out. I don't know. Uh, mapped mapped is constantly iterating. So yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, Sumi, if there was a specific feature you were looking for. We push updates all the time. Um, most recently, the thing that we pushed that we haven't really marketed very well, so it's great to take a moment and announce it here. We need to send some emails. Is now um, with Mapped Pro, chat advising is included. So if you sign up for our paid level, there is a free level of Mapped that has some really great stuff. But if you sign up for the paid level, then there is messaging with this team. It takes us a business day or so to get back, 
it's not the same as signing up for a live one-on-one call. It's not going to be that immediate of dialogue, but you've got more chances to ask us questions. Um, so, I mean, I think mapped, you know, I think back to when we started building it about two years ago, we did our internal launch, Ryan, and it's, it's just come so far. Like yeah. everything we originally envisioned plus a lot more is in there. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out to me if you haven't already. And if there's a feature you're looking for that you haven't seen, we're always open to feedback and ideas. Feel free to shoot us an email. Yeah. The, the biggest one I'll, I'll cover real quick too is um, our prereqs now. Yeah. So we've, we've scrubbed every med school out there. I think there's a couple we're missing. I've seen a couple issues. Um, uh, we looked at med schools and looked at their websites and looked at what their prereqs are. And so in our med school list, uh, I just pulled up a random one here that this demo account has, we can see the prereqs required here. We link out to where we pulled this information from and we can see that they require two semesters of biology. I have that Uh, biochemistry here. Uh, I have that physics two semesters. Uh Oh, I'm missing something. Got to figure that out. So this is a quarter student, right? So they've got two of their three quarters. That's why it's 66%. Yep. Uh, so English. So uh, you can see what's what's going on there. And these are all required. Some of these prereq boxes will have recommended as well. This specific school just has required. And so it's a, a good way to make sure that you're applying to schools that you're going to meet um, meet requirements at in terms of prereqs. And then as we continue to iterate and build more information, we'll have this for letters of recommendations as well. So if a specific school requires some random type of letter of recommendation, we'll, we'll make sure you know that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Aspiring med student asks, just graduated. I was on the pre-med track, failed my bio prereq, so I was quicked out of the, kicked, kicked out of the bio yeah. program. Uh, I took some chem prereqs, got C's. So do I take nine courses at a local university or do a post-bac? Uh, it'd be the same difference, right? Mm-hmm. So courses at a local university or a post-bac. Taking classes at the university since you've graduated is a post-bac. Um, so the question I think you're asking is, do I need a formal post-bac or I just, do I just need to take some classes? Vernia, what do you think? Yeah, so you have to look and see, I mean, wow, well, how do your other grades look? How do your other courses look? Um, if it's just a matter of the two bio courses and some the, the chemistry classes, then just focus on those. Um, and you should be fine, but, um, really look at everything. And, and when you're going to these universities, um, it doesn't have to be a formal program. You can, um, register for classes as a non-degree seeking student. Um, but talk to their department heads and see if they can give you some feedback as well on whether or not you need to take more. Um, but it sounds like it's just these courses. So don't worry about it being formal. So aspiring mid-student, here's what you didn't ask that I want to put on your radar. And so you said, so I do your retake, right? So you're still aspiring. You, you want to retake. You know you have to do it. That's all great. What went wrong before, right? Before you plunge into retaking nine courses, you failed your bio prereqs. You did better in chem, but you got C's, which doesn't necessarily indicate great mastery. And you're going to need that information again on the MCAT. Um, you know, 
I've, I've never in my career told someone they couldn't be a doctor, but sometimes I have some tough conversations about how long it's going to take before you plunge into this long um, course of retakes. What, what's going to be different this time? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's, you need to take a beat and ask yourself that. Yep. Muscle. If I was expelled in high school, do I have to mention that to medical schools? Nope. 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 The only place where that may come into play, uh, Dr. Wright, and you know this, is TMDSAS does ask for some high school information, correct? But th- that they, they, they don't ask anything that would make that relevant. Mm-mm. Okay. They just ask the, uh, where you went to high school, which is important for reporting, uh, state reporting, uh, where, where you went to high school, what county that was in, yep. and they, they also ask what, um, where you were in your class. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the so they class, they ask for rate. SAT ACT scores. A- SAT and that's, ACT that's what they ask for. Okay, right. yeah, they don't they don't ask for a high school transcript. They just want those no. standardized test scores. Correct. Yeah, I think I think AMCAS also asks for high school where you went to school. That's just data tracking stuff. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because the institutional action question I don't think is time bound. So um, y- you can see how that's left open for interpretation. Of you know, mm-hmm. have have you ever been? Um, pre- you know, have you ever been, I don't know what it's called, subjected to institutional action? Like, yeah, it would be hard to know whether or not high school qualifies. Yeah, I would say everything because everything in the application is post high school. So right. I would so say that makes sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Looking to see what else we got here. We're getting a lot of repeat themes. I think some of you guys ask your questions before we've answered similar questions. Uh uh-uh. I was offered a job to work as an optician. I've applied to be a patient care tech to 30 different clinics and hospitals, but I haven't gotten a call back. Would this count as healthcare experience? So I don't know what an optician is. I'm assuming it's like a, an optometry tech, uh, maybe. And you, so you're, you're taking patients back, you're checking their eye exams, you're doing that kind of stuff. Um, that's patient experience. Uh, probably not the best patient experience if you're saying you want to go to medical school, although if you, unless you want to be an ophthalmologist, Dr. Uh, Glockenflecken may, uh, may like that. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. What yeah. do you think? Well, an optician helps like get glasses for you, your contact lenses, your fit, et cetera. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you're still, you're working with patients. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think what, to me, what that would be important to do in your application, in your, in your personal statement or in the activity descriptions, when you're talking about it is talk about what you did, maybe a patient encounter, but mm-hmm. then broaden it for the benefit of the reader to say, I recognize that much of what I experienced as an optician is is also what I saw in shadowing, you know, a physician in in you know in terms of what I was able to do with them and the reactions that they had and my react, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, you could broaden that in, in your comments in your personal statement or activity descriptions too. Mm-hmm. All right, another is it clinical? Zan asks, is assisting nurses in VA Medical Center, 
centers, does that count as clinical? So, uh, <laughs> if you're just assisting the nurses, no. If you're helping with patients, yeah. like if you're a CNA, mm-hmm. I'm, that's I'm a, nurse, a certified nurse assistant, um, yeah. then yeah. Yeah, I I literally picked this one on purpose because so often we get students who say, oh, I have great clinical. And then they write a job description that mentions all the things they do to help nurses and never once mentions a patient. Um, And, you know, is it clinical? Never gets old. Um, You guys never stop asking. We'll never stop reminding you that clinical is subjective and it's about directly helping your patients. So if you're stocking shelves and bringing the nurses coffee, you are doing God's work and it matters and it's not clinical. (laughs) So uh, we have time for this one quick question that I I wanted to bring up. I saw it. I'm like, this is a very common um, kind of theme on Reddit student doctor network about unbalanced MCAT scores. So 511 MCAT score, though the cars section is a 125. Several interviews, all waitlists, um, or some rejections, but but lots of waitlists. Student Michael asking here, should I retake the MCAT to improve that car section? The car section is no problem. No. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. No. No. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Agreed. So we we covered Michael. If you're joining us a little bit later, you can go back and watch the replay. We we talked about uh, another student with five wait lists and what that potentially means. So you can go check that out. Yep. Yep. Well, everyone, thank you all for joining us. Uh, hanging out for another Ask the Dean episode ninety seven <sighs> with the wonderful Matt team. Yes, almost a hundred. We'll we'll have to have some some party. For a hundred, um, we'll be here next week, one p.m. Eastern. That is our our goal to be here every Wednesday, one p.m. Eastern, to help you. And if you need some more help, go check out mapped.com, m-a-p-p-d.com. See how we can help you with your applications, with your pre med journey, whatever it may be. Yep. yep. Thank you all for hanging out. Yeah. Bye. Have a good Bye. day. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.